Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the LA Soccer Hub Show. My name is Gio Garcia. Today is November 9th. Um, joining us today, we got the Defenders of the Bank host. We got Philly and the Scarf. How you guys doing? What's going on, man? Thanks for having us on the show tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that we're here, Gio. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, so I've been, I've been wanting to get you guys on. Obviously, I've seen you guys at the stadium. Um, you guys have a great podcast. You guys do a great job of everything you guys do. I've listened to the podcast, and I love the way you guys break, uh, break the games down. Uh, I was just telling you before pre-chat, um, if you didn't watch the game, people can just listen to your podcast and you guys break it down by the minute, which is really great. And the notes you guys take in the detail, I, I really like and I really do enjoy it. Well, I appreciate that. You know what they say, flattery gets you everywhere. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Philly is also practicing his stand-up routine on this pod, Gio. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't practice stand-up. I got stand-up. <laughs> there we go. Hey, that, that's totally fine. We can practice as long as we talk about uh, uh, some LAFC soccer, get into the details. But before we get into that, how did you guys come up with Defenders of the Bank? You know, we have a, a hashtag that we use on our podcast all the time, hashtag Blame Philly. And that's usually <laughs> for when things go wrong. But I have to say, we can use that hashtag Blame Philly for how we came together as a podcast. We met in Founders Club at the first match and during the course of the first season. A lot of people think that we've known each other for forever just because of our rapport and how we get along. No, we met at the start of 2018 in Founders Club. And, you know, he kept prodding me at about the midway point of the first season. You know, we've got to do a podcast about this. we got to do a podcast. Come on. We both love sports. We both love to talk. We're both kind of outspoken. We had a ton of other things in common. And somehow we're both Mets fans as well. And, you know, I said, no, you know, I'm a teacher. It doesn't really behoove me to be on social media very often. It's, you know, I try and stay as low key as possible. And, and finally, towards the end of the season, you know, we were listening to some other podcasts and we were kind of throwing the idea around. And, and I, I just finally said, all right, you know what, Philly, you're absolutely right. We need to do this. Let's do this. And that was just under two years ago now that we formed Defenders of the Bank. Uh, the name came, we were at, what is it, Tom's Urban ready to watch one of the matches on, on our way, uh, one of the away matches at the beginning of 2019, I believe it was. And, you know, we were kind of scribbling some names down. We came up with Defenders of the Bank and it, we've been off and running since 129 episodes later. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. Like you hear if you watch all these like behind the music things or with uh, on VH1 or whatever, maybe I'm dating myself. Maybe those, nobody knows what those are anymore. But you always hear about a band talk about how they found lightning in a bottle. They all got in a room and they all just started playing their chords and then boom, something happened. So throughout the course of the first season, anytime Tyler Miller would make a save, I miss Tyler Miller. Anytime he would make a save, I'd yell Tyler and JR would just yell Miller. I was going to say, you're, you're off cue, brother. But um, the, the one, the, the, when I realized the, the, the lightning, we caught it in a bottle. I don't know what the play was. It wasn't rehearsed. We didn't choreograph it. But the ball beat Tyler, but it hit the goalpost. And in my head, I'm like, JR, JR, goal. And just without, without even thinking about it, he held post. 
I'm like, wow, well, that was kind of cool. He literally just took the words out of my head. And right then and there, I realized I got to do a podcast with this guy, not only because he's a fellow Met, Met fan, say a masochistic Met fan, but we, we vibe off of each other. And he said it right. It sounds like we've been boys for for, for years. In fact, Jr. kind of has a New Yorkness about him to a certain extent, which I can relate to. But yeah, it's it's just from that very first season at Bank of California Stadium, uh, April of 2018. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that, that that's amazing to hear just of what this club has been able to do and bring people together. Obviously, that's what they are, right? That That's what uh, the backbone of LAFC and I, I credit them. Yeah. Uh, as many times as I can because of the community and how they built this club. You know, they started years prior to that, you know, going door to door and getting the community. And then out of that, we're seeing obviously your guys' podcasts, photographers, and just the whole community of LAFC 3252. And I think that's, um, I mean, the team at LAFC did a great job in building the community. And you're starting to see some of the rewards and some of the benefits. And uh, I, I I do credit this podcast being one of the benefits of what of what they started and created, and you know and just involving the community. Obviously, uh, on the pitch is a whole different thing, right? You know, trying to trying to win games is a whole other thing. But I like how they focus. Let's focus on the community. Let's focus on the game day experience. Let's focus on this, and then we focus on the other stuff, and that we leave that to the coaches and stuff. And it was very smart of how how they did it. And like I said, you guys' podcast came out of that. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, you look at the team and where it's situated. They are literally in the heart of Los Angeles, right in downtown. That's the heartbeat of Los Angeles. So many different communities, peoples, cultures that come together in that spot. And so LAFC, all they had to do was look outside their their bedroom window, basically, and to see that whole community, that tapestry of Los Angeles and all the different cultures that come together. And, and they reached out to those people. They reached out to, to Los Angelinos and it really struck a chord. It really resonated with the, with the people of Los Angeles. Yeah, no, it, it, it's been amazing. And I've just me being able to see what you, what you guys have been able to do and just everything that's come out and how this club has brought, brought the community together. Uh, it, it's been great. And just obviously watching what Carlos, Carlos Vela does. It's, it's so exciting seeing him. Um, play again yesterday so let's get into the game tough tough game um as close as i feel like a tie could feel to a loss this is what i feel like it felt like um because your lafc was leading for most of the way um and i and bob Bradley after after the game you could tell he was, he was still very upset because they know they let one slip away and i kind of feel like i literally as soon as again as soon as they scored that goal i, I kind of felt like back when Christian Torres yep. the game away from them. And I was like, oh man, is, 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 is it like, is it like, is this like, you know, get them getting them back for that or whatever. And it was, it was just tough to see because they had everybody. And, you know, this, this felt like a game that, you know, you wanted them to win just for the seating, right. It was deci- decision day and all those, all those things that happened. Um, I want to get into the lineup and I want to get your guys' thoughts. Um, just, we'll just start with the lineup first. Obviously, there was there was injury. Uh, we know the players are COVID. Uh, we don't know the players are COVID, but we can assume, right? So, obviously, Kenneth Vermeer started a goalkeeper. Uh, we saw uh, Eddie Segura uh, right back, uh, Jesus Mourinho center back, and Tristan Blackman at center back. It seems like they really want to put Tristan Blackman right there at center back. That's where he feels comfortable. I think he, I think at the right back, he he tends to get beat a lot. And then we saw Jordan Harvey. What did you guys make of, of that back four? I guess I'll start off. I mean, as far as 
you, you look at the bench and you obviously Cheeky Palacios there, and then you see Brian Rodriguez there. And I, I, you can make the argument that maybe Sifu will kill everything I'm going to say, but I get the feeling that Bob just kind of wanted to tinker with things just to uh, create something going forward. He's not going to have Palacios in that back line. So he probably wanted to see, he wanted to get Tristan Blackman reacclimated with playing that center back role. Obviously seeing Eddie Segura outside was, was a slightly different story, but I, I really have a sneaky suspicion that this could potentially be the back line that we see against Seattle. And that Bob was just doing this to try some things out to make sure that this back line was ready for the matchup on the 24th. Yeah. You know, I, I feel the same way, except I think, providing he's healthy we might see Mohamed El Mounir maybe in place sure. to start and I think what we're seeing now is Bob over the last couple of matches you know we were talking about it pre-chat Geo where Bob is using Eddie Segura in more offensive roles we see him play a little bit of center mid now he's playing a little bit of uh, right back or left back and and I think that what we're seeing is his offensive ability, his ability to create chances from the back line. I think Bob is trying to capitalize on that as much as possible. And, and Gio, I totally agree with your take on Tristan Blackman. He's a center back, right? He is, had he been healthy for most of the season, maybe we don't even bring in Jesus David Murillo. Maybe he's the starting center back alongside Eddie Segura. And I think that that's where Tristan is certainly most comfortable. So th it's going to look something like this on the back line. And, and I agree, Philly, that, I think they're trying to prepare for life without Cheeky Palacios in that first match. Yeah, I think to me, the, the biggest interesting you said about that is that Cheeky Palacios didn't even come into the game. You know, even if they were preparing, yeah. that was the mindset. But at the same time, wouldn't you want to go with your strongest players on decision day on, a, on where you're fighting for seating? So to me, I think that tells me that Bob has lost confidence in Chiqui Palacios because he didn't, he didn't, he didn't come into the game, not saying he's not a good player or whatever. I think whether he, after, when he came back from international duty, he, he, we didn't see the same Chiqui Palacios and we, and I know Bob had mentioned um, that, you know, some players weren't fit and stuff. So I think that I'm, I'm hopefully I'm not reading too much into it, but like for him, not even to come into the game, um, you have Jordan Harvey, who's a veteran, um, he played most of the, I think he played all the, the whole 90 minutes. Yeah. He didn't get subbed yep. out and he, Chiqui Palacios doesn't even come in. And okay. That's why I wonder like this player is leaving. Why, why, did, you know, why didn't he come in? And I think Bob Bradley um, may have lost some confidence on him. And then, and I agree. I think this, this, this is going to be, this potential could be the, the starting lineup depending uh, on what you, I think El Muni on the right back has looked good or you potentially could put Latif blessing, depending what you do in the midfield sure. or up top. Yeah, you know, the one thing I will say is I don't think Bob cared about seeding at all. And I think that once he knew that fourth place, being able to host a home match was off the table, I think that he knew going into it, obviously, and we'll, we'll talk about this, I guess, a little bit later, when we're not going to have Diego Rossi, we're not going to have Brian Rodriguez, we're not going to have Sifu, we're not going to have Chiqui Palacios. Who knows, you know, if Pablo Cisniego will be healthy, who knows if, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips will be healthy. He was playing to get these guys ready to play something that looks like that formation and that lineup for 90 minutes in our next match. It just so happens to be that we drew the hardest team, in my opinion, in the Western <laughs> in our first match but had it been sporting had it been dallas had it been minnesota had it been portland next I, I don't think bob would have done anything different i really think he was trying to prepare these guys for the next match because seating didn't matter we were going on the road somewhere 
Yeah, no, I, I would kind of agree with that. I mean, a lot of people are stating the fact that, well, there's no fans in the stadium. Home field advantage isn't a thing, but that's not the case at all. Because if you look at the records for both these clubs, for that matter, LAFC and Seattle, for that matter, have done better at home. I mean, LAFC had only won one game on the road. So knowing that they were only going to go between fifth and eighth, what the hell? Let me go out on a limb and try some other stuff. I mean, Seattle, Seattle, I, I think on the road was three, three and three. And now they clearly have the advantage playing at the clink. So despite not having fans, home field advantage really does come into play. I know a lot of people say no fans, no advantage, but that certainly hasn't been the case. If you look at these teams records. Yeah, no, and I, and I and I agree with that. I just uh, and we've seen the last two times. Obviously, this is without a Carlos Vela. They they've lost up up in Seattle, and it's been it's been it's been very tough for uh, LAFC to go up there. I think maybe he didn't he didn't, he wasn't um, too worried about the seating, but I think he wanted to win this game, and that's why, and that's why that's why I think to me it was okay. You've trusted uh, you've trusted Chico Palacios, uh, you know, obviously to come off the bench and for him not to get any playing time. That to me just tells me, okay, whatever he he ha- he's been seen in practice or the games or anything like that is just not there. Um, let's let's go into the mid. So the, the midfield. So he started a Latif blessing on the, on the right, the right wing. He had a he had a, a Twesta a center, a center mid, and then he had a Jose Sinfuentes. I think at a midfield, it's no secret that's where they're the deepest. That's when they they're, they're really strong, right? So you you could put K whoever I'm Janela. You know, I think that's where that's they they really have that depth there. So I like I like the midfield, and I think potentially without Sinfiontes, we're gonna see that we're gonna see that mixture of three. And then up top, you had Vela, Rossi, and Christian Torres. I think to me, um, I wanted I didn't get to ask Bob this yesterday, but I wanted to know what led to uh, Christian Torres starting over your DP player. And to me, I think. The same. He, I think he's lost uh, some confidence um, with with uh, with uh, Brian Rodriguez. Um, just just certain things that I read on body language. This is not to say that Brian Rodriguez is not a good player. Uh, I think just certain things have not connected with Bob and Brian Rodriguez. And this is why you see a 16 year old start over a DP player. And again, this is on decision day. And I was I was like, okay, because I had to ask other people. I was like, do you ever think Bob is gonna you know start? Uh, start someone else over Brian Rodriguez. They're like, no, no, that's going to happen. I was like, I wouldn't be surprised it happened. And then the final game of the season, it happened. What do you guys make of that? All right. So I've been on team Brian Rodriguez for most of the season, much to. Yeah. The- you only wrote a song about him. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to sing it now. You're going to have to sing Brian. It. <laughs> I came off the bench, Brian. <laughs> um, no, you'll have to listen to the episode. If you want to hear it, we had a little fun with it, but. Uh, you know, to be honest, it was in that moment when I saw the starting lineup for Decision Day that I thought, okay, all of those people that listen to our podcast that have been giving me grief all season about, all right, are you still on Team Brian? You're still on Team Brian? When you get a 16-year-old, a player who was playing against Academy Kids just a year ago, even just maybe eight months ago, starting over your third designated player, one of the most expensive players in the league, and a player who has had so much no pressure, but rightfully so, put upon him. And and look, I get that he's only 19, 20 years old now, right? But he has been he's been blessed with a lot of ability. It just hasn't shown itself on the pitch for LAFC. Now, I personally think he's played a lot better than a lot of the haters do. He's he's done a lot in terms of creating chances and passing the ball really well. But I totally it, it was the first time where I was like, Well, 
All right. This is where I think Bob might have actually lost some confidence in Brian Rodriguez. Again, I'll, I'll play it back to maybe a little bit more of trying to get ready for 90 minutes of a, of a totally different lineup. Maybe he knows something we don't about Adrian Perez's fitness or about Bradley Wright Phillips's personal situation, about Danny Musovsky's fitness. You know, we do have a lot of names on the front line that weren't available for this match as well. And I thought maybe he was trying to pull what Portland pulled in the COVID Cup, where they like to end their match with their starters at their yeah. Fitness. You know, they brought in Diego Valeri and they brought in a couple of other guys at the last 20, 30 minutes of each match. And I thought, okay, maybe he's trying to do that with Brian Rodriguez. However, I think we all agree at about the 60 minute mark, we kind of saw Christian Torres get tired, right? And when he didn't bring in Brian Rodriguez right away for Christian Torres at that 60 minute mark, I was like, uh oh, all right. So maybe he has lost a little bit of faith in Brian. He's 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 an electrifying player. You can tell that there's talent there. But in some cases, the decision making is subject to question. Uh, a message very well could have been sent a message to maybe, you know, put a chip on this kid's shoulder. I mean, he seems like he's living the good life with his Balenciaga sweaters and his Gucci shoes. He seems like he's enjoying <laughs> himself. But a little chip on the shoulder. It's like, hey, I'm going to start this 16 year old who scored last time against his team uh, and you couldn't. So this is what's going to happen. I'd love to see a little bit more fire. From Brian, because Brian plays very finesse. We have a lot of our players that that are very finesse, but I just just to see a spark, some anger, maybe just to find a different way to motivate the kid. Because Bob's obviously coaching him and telling him to do things differently, but he's doing the same things all the time. You know, he's creating chances, but getting caught up with with uh, four defenders surrounding him, turning the ball over in the box. The kid's got game, and obviously, it's going to come into fruition at some point. I just think with him. The expectations were set so incredibly high. Number one, because he's a designated player. Number two, because he's got a seven-figure salary. Number three, because a few short weeks after we sign him, he goes off to Uruguay and scores a couple of goals with the fifth, at that time, the fifth best national team in the world. So clearly we thought, all right, this guy's going to be a wrecking ball. And when he didn't come through as a wrecking ball, now everybody's like, well, what the hell is this million-dollar bust? But the funny thing is, People are calling him a bust at 19. How many players can you legitimately say 19 years old, they're a bust? He's got upside. The thing is, I don't think we're going to see that. I think he'll end up getting sold off somewhere else. And that realization will come through, not for us. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I know people have been better, better critical, even myself. I don't think he's a bust. I think um, he's underperformed. And I think to hit, to hit on the point that you just said, Philly, I think I would put number one that he's from Uruguay. That. I think that to me, uh, and this is to me talking to all the Spanish media, growing up, we growing up as a kid, I knew who Uruguay, you talk about Forlan, you know, Cavani, sure. you talk about all these quality players. And I just want yeah. to make it clear, in order to get into the Uruguay national team, it's essentially like a boys club, if people don't know. Like, it is so hard to make it, and it, you got to have the connections and all these stuff. You just look at Diego Rossi. Look how, how hard it took him to get in there. So it, it's so hard to get in there. And he got in there at a young age. To me, this is what I really do think it is. He is very talented. I think he individually, he's a talented player. But when it comes to being part of this team and what Bob Bradley wants out of him and the LAFC team, he's not a good player. Because there's certain things that you have to do as a player um, to make your team succeed. Right. And he's not doing those things. And sometimes he's being too predictable. And sometimes, you know, he's give, he's giving up the ball, um, you know, and he's not coming back sometimes, you know, trailing back when he's supposed to be trailing back. We know he has a speed. We know he's young. We know he can last 90 minutes. 
but he has not lasted those lighting minutes. And I don't think um, that I don't I don't think he's done those things to the team's expectations. And this is what we need you to do. Or we, but I think he wants he sees himself differently. And he's like, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to you know do like all all these jukes and all these different things. And like, no, you don't you don't need to do that. You you just you know play play essentially play your role. And I don't think he's playing his role right um, because. He's lacked. He's disappointed. And when he when his came, he's had opportunities. Bob Bradley mentioned this yesterday uh, after the press conference. He mentioned it more than once. So I I, I have a feeling. Uh, before I get into this point, when Brian Rodriguez was getting to check in, I looked at Brian Rodriguez coming to check in, because um, that was the game. He him and Bob Bradley did not communicate at once. He was just talking to an assistant coach and the assistant coach. Just and then he went out to the field. Like him and Bob Bradley did not like physically or verbally acknowledge each other, and that that tells me a lot. And I'm I'm talking to the person in the press box. They're like, "Oh, it's a language barrier." I'm like, "No, no, no." Even if it's a language barrier, but like, "Yo, let's go, let's go. We need you." Like, you know what I'm saying? That did not happen. And I may be buying reading too much into this, maybe not. But that that told me, okay, they're they may not be uh, on on the same page on that. But I think. He's underperformed as a, as a team player. Individually, he's great, but soccer is a team sport. And individually, the things that Bob Bradley and LAFC have asked of him, he has not performed um, from being an Uruguayan national team player. Well, you know, and the other thing that's that's tough to live up to, Gio, is when the guy who came right before you as the Uruguayan designated player at 19 in Diego <laughs> is performing at the top of the league just a year later you know that's even more of pressure I guess on you and when you feel like you're the guy like all right I've already on the Uruguayan national team I'm scoring goals in big matches for my country you're look you're still looking over your shoulder at a player who I bet if you asked Brian Rodriguez who's got more wiggle, who's got more game, who's got more one-on-one ability. I don't think anyone thinks that Diego Rossi would be the answer to that question. I think that Brian Rodriguez would be the answer to who's a more devastating 1v1 player. But I do think, you know, he's put so much pressure on himself too. Let's not forget the first time he ever came into a match, it was to replace Carlos Vela with an injury. And so it, it as if you didn't have enough pressure on yourself anymore, now you're coming in and they expect, oh, he's going to score four goals in these 30 minutes of injury time and he's coming in to replace Carlos Vela. Either way, though, I, I as much as I hate to agree, Gio, he certainly underperformed what, what our expectations were at the start of the year. Yep. Yeah, and I think... T- to me, I think you, you just got to see uh, if if you're right. You have a, a 16 year old kid starting over him, and like I said, like you said, you mentioned Philly, all that money, it, it, it starts it starts to, it starts to be difficult when when he's coming off the bench when you have so much money invested invested into him. So I think we'll we'll have to see. I don't believe this this is going to be the last game because even whatever happens in the playoffs, LAFC still has Concacaf, so we'll we'll, we'll definitely see him. Um, and I think the off season, I think it's going to be very interesting because uh, I think, as you guys may know, his his agent has been very vocal about trying to get him, uh, trying to get him uh, to Europe as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. And I, I, to me, I just thought that, that was the most interesting thing. And then Bob Bradley after the game was just kept just I don't know if that was a shot or he was just upset and kept kept mentioning his name. And I was like. I was like, well, I just want to know what 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 led to the decision, and and then get to ask that. Another thing, Tristan Blackman and Carlos Vela 
first time and I think in a while that they played 90 minutes and I think that's that's a that's a big plus for the LAFC and after the game Bob Bradley said that that wasn't that wasn't um the decision for for both of them to play 90 minutes he said that the the tempo I'm just paraphrasing here he said the tempo of the game is what let them what left both of them to to play 90 minutes what what did you guys think of that you know, let me take uh, the Carlos Vela question first. I, I definitely don't think Carlos Vela is a 90-minute player right now. I think that anyone who watched that game saw, even though he picked up that knock in the 60th minute, he was down for a little bit. You know, he looked like he was limping. What, 10 minutes later, he was off and running for a ball on the right side. So I wasn't worried about his fitness in terms of being able to come back from that knock. But I think that after that knock in the 60th minute or so, we started to see a less dynamic Carlos Vela, not quite making as many runs, not quite finding the open space. He's still a top five player in Major League Soccer when he's tired. But I think what we saw through the first 60 minutes, we saw the reigning Landon Donovan MLS MVP. We saw a guy who looked very much like the devastating offensive force that he was in 2019. I was shocked and I'm still surprised that it was Christian Torres, you know, who who came out and Brian Rodriguez who stayed on for Christian Torres. I also just think though, I mean, we just talked about it, right? No Adrian Perez, no Danny Masovsky, no Bradley Wright Phillips. We obviously know no Adama Diamande coming through the door anytime soon. We're down to Forever. our seventh striker. And and I think it was almost a, an attritional thing. We just didn't have anybody else that that Bob felt comfortable moving into that role. And yes, you could have maybe moved Latif up, but you know that wasn't going to work. It's just I think Bob was just playing the hand that he was dealt. Mm-hmm. You know, with Tristan Blackman, I think he played solidly all the way around. I didn't see anything that I was too worried about with him. I think he is more comfortable as a setback. But now you're asking him to again, forge a brand new relationship with Mario instead of it being Eddie Segura or, you know, unfortunately Walker Zimmerman or any of those guys. So that's, that's going to be tough for Tristan. He's been asked to do so much in his young career. And, and let's be honest, not a lot of super draft picks really tend to make this big of an impact in the starting 11, especially on teams like an LAFC or, or like some of the bigger clubs in major league soccer. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said. And I, I just also want to add the fact that those boys do need to have a little bit of match fitness going into the uh, into the playoffs. I don't think Carlos would have played that many minutes had the crossbar and the woodwork not been hit so many times. If we would have had a 2-3 goal lead, pretty sure they would have came out maybe in the beginning of the second half, maybe around the 65th minute, and then you would have rested them. But then obviously the game started. The game was close as a result of us not putting it in the back of the net. And so you keep the lineup that you feel that you have the best chance and opportunity to win. And he kept Carlos in there. And also at the same time, when you get, you were an athlete, Gio, anytime you get some type of, anytime you get some type of injury, there is a, um, there's a mental aspect to it. You know, you, you don't quite, some people may tear. I know it's an MCL, not compared to an ACL, but sometimes you just want to get that confidence to, to know that, all right, I'm not going to fall apart. And I think in order to get that confidence, it's kind of trial by fire. It's a very risky game to play with somebody like Vela, in particular in that 60 minutes when he took the hit. But I'm sure if anything that we all learn from it is he's he's back and he's got himself two weeks to get ready, two weeks to get in shape for this next match. But yes, to be your point, Scarf, we were very limited on who we had to utilize. Losing Danny Musovsky to either an injury or COVID, that came out of nowhere. That was definitely a surprise. And if Moose and Bradley Wright Phillips were there, probably wouldn't have had Carlos in as long as we did. Yeah, no, and like I think like just Scarf said, like you mentioned, Bob Bradley had to play that hat. And essentially that was 
he was dealt with because um, whether it's COVID or whatever on Danny Masepsi's part and on BWP part, I've been told that it's still a still personal issue. So, or right. it's a personal matter, I should say. Um, so I'm assuming you'll, we'll be able to have, see them when they play against uh, Seattle Sounders. Um, I'm just interested to see, I think, the thing about LAFC this this year, obviously, it's 2020 and all that. But I think uh, I think we know what to expect uh, uh, with with the players uh, up top. We know what to expect in the midfield, and I think we haven't the the lineup has been so inconsistent because of injuries, because of COVID, because of so many different factors. Um, you know, international player, we add that in there, but the back line has been so inconsistent, and I think that's where they've obviously been the most vulnerable. And I think that's what that could potentially definitely hurt them. Um, come playoff time. If we just look at the numbers um, this year, they had 39 goals against, and that's and last year they had 37 goals against, and they played more games last year than this year, way more goals. And I know we we're talking about this earlier, but I think I really do look back and I know when, they made the decision at the start of the season to trade Walker Zimmerman to Nashville for all that money. I was uh, to me when that happened. I looked when I got the email. I was like, I had no like, no like tip or anything like that. I'm like Walker Zimmerman, like the heart of your back line. I, I really thought that. I was like, okay, you know, I think they know what they're doing, which it made financially sense for them. But I think one thing that LAFC did not take into account because I, I I assume Tristan Blackman was there to fill that role and you know there was there was some financial benefits for them clear up cap and all these different things right but I think they didn't take into account the intangible things that he had uh Walker Zimmerman uh, I've been told he was learning Spanish to get a better relationship with Eddie Segura and Eddie Segura really strived and we were talking about him like I think he he didn't make the MLS all-star game last year and we're talking he, he got robbed you know all those different things and then Eddie Segura this year he looks like a completely different player yeah not as, he's not as um, impactful the game. I remember him being at MLS Team of the Week pretty much every single week, and I don't know how many times or at all he's made it this this year. And I think that's where that's where a lot of the inconsistencies, maybe the root of it, better said. What do you guys think? You know, it, it was tough, right? The, the Walker Zimmerman trade also happened about what four or five days before the the start of the season. I think that was something that really took the team by surprise. Heck, it took Walker Zimmerman by surprise. If you ask, you've seen the video of how he found out. He he heard it on the radio. He got a bunch of text messages from his friends. He didn't even hear it from the club themselves initially. And look, I'll say this, whether or not you agree with the trade, we've the LAFC fans Facebook page has all kinds of great opinions if you ever want to read seven different opinions about the same topic. But to me, <laughs> the Walker Zimmerman trade should never have happened just for the simple reason that I, I don't think LAFC needs to be a team that chases the best dollar deal ever that goes out there. You don't see teams like Seattle and teams like Portland and teams like Carson, for example, teams that have been not just financially stable, but want to be towards the top of the Western Conference and the top of Major League Soccer every year, you don't see them making deals solely based on money unless it's, you know, like an Andre Horta type deal where we knew like, okay, this is really a bad fit or or maybe even a Brian Rodriguez type deal, right? There, I don't think anyone would be surprised if we moved a guy like that for the money. But to move a center back, a starting caliber center back, a best 11 caliber center back, and I think what we're going to see this year, a 
top three finalists for defensive player of the year center back right before the start of your season for money. It's just, it didn't sit well for me from the very beginning. And, and look, I guess we're supposed to be okay with it being Tristan Blackman that comes in and takes the spot, but it winds up being Dayan Yakovich who steps into the starting role. And I just wonder what that deal would have looked like and what our goals numbers against would have looked like had we played a 34 match regular MLS season asking that much of guys like Dayan Yakovich and Tristan Blackman at center back. The intangible is you had a, a really tall, a, a big vocal leader in that position. Nobody was there to assume that role. I mean, we, Simon was a leader and he obviously left. We're not going to get into that. Zimmerman was a leader, but who essentially anchors that back line? Who really is the vocal piece? Who's out there screaming at everybody? And I can tell you, it's not Tristan Blackman. I can tell you, it's not Eddie Segura. Jordan Harvey, sure, but he hasn't played that much. Dayan Yakovich, I, I said this earlier, him having a kid definitely changed his game because we thought he was on his last legs coming into the season. was really surprised that he even got signed on to play. Uh, losing Danilo Silva was also a really big deal. But all these guys, they're not going to be your vocal leader. So losing that, it, it really hurt. Walker, the first season we had what we call the 80th minute hex. They would just have a lapse after the 80th minute and then give up goals at the end of the game. They seem to have worked that out season two. And season three, I mean, everything's been so inconsistent, we don't know. The financial gain, and John Thorrington said this from day one, that we will be a seller's club, but didn't think we'd sell somebody who's a bit more of a veteran as opposed to like a, a Diego Rossi pulling somebody out of South America for, for whatever amount of money and selling them that way. And I mean, what do we get? I'm, I was kind of surprised we didn't keep Stephen Bader short. Maybe he doesn't have the, the physical fitness to go a full 34-game season, but he definitely would have been a leader in that back line. Didn't think they would separate Beta and Harvey. Um, and, and quite honestly, I think having Beta w- would have worked out well. He probably would have gotten more minutes than Jordan Harvey did. And then what we, we end up with, I, I jokingly call him this, Andy Papel Nahar. I mean, we, 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 we took a chance with him, uh, a very big chance. That laundry list of injuries that he had that we found on the Internet just goofing around one day, it was staggering, staggering how many injuries, how many torn ACLs this kid had. And he clearly wasn't the, anything of what he was supposed to have brought to the table. Yeah, and just, just to go back on your point on the Steve Bettershore, uh, the reason why uh, that they went over Jordan Harvey, it was because he was less less expensive. Sure. Uh, Jordan Harvey was more, more affordable. And uh, I guess you obviously, when you build a team, um, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't have um, as I think when, when you're, um, when you're, you're, you're a team that just starts, what's, what's the word? Uh, what, what do you call uh, inter Miami right now? They're, expansion expansion club right the um so i think you have some financial incentives the first two years and i think like the third year um you don't have those and i think they were trying to you know be more financially uh smarter with those and i think that's why they went over Jordan harvey that's why they they ended up flipping walker zimmerman i get it but i think you know uh, some of the intangibles and the leader and and I've, i've said that before i think you you lost that leader in that back line but I also do have to give them credit because they beat Leon and, you know, they beat those same teams without Walker Zimmer and all those things. Obviously we, we don't know what, what would happen with the regular season and all COVID. But when you look back in the way this team has been scored on, you know, uh, you know, at the Orlando tournament and even to restart the season. And like, I just hit on, they, they've got 39 goals against uh, I, that, that stat that, I mean, that tells you everything right there, regardless sure. of who's been there in the back line. And I think 
um, they haven't been able to address it. And I think, you know, they've, I feel like certain players of the year, they, they've, hey, let me pr- plug in Tristan Blackman here, Latif here. They've been essentially patching it because out of necessity sometimes. And that's what Bob Riley has had to do. Um, but I think I, I'm very interested to see what they do this offseason with that back line because there's no, the, there's no secret there that they, they definitely need, need that help back there. Well, and Gio, let me ask you something. You covered sports here in LA for quite a while. The other thing that, you know, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles myself, I've been spoiled because you look at the Dodgers and you look at their payroll and they've got a top one, two, three payroll in Major League Baseball. You look at the Lakers, they obviously, it's not just because they sign superstars, but their their bench is quality. Their, their third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth guy is quality. They have a top payroll. It's just weird for me as an LA sports fan, right, to hear that a team is selling players for money. You know, I know that that's something they do in soccer all the time. And I'd like to believe that when John Thorrington said we're a seller's club, he thought, you know, we're going to buy a guy like Diego Rossi low and sell high because of what he's become. We're going to buy a guy like Brian Rodriguez low and sell high because of what he's become. Same thing with maybe Eddie Atuesta and Segura and all those guys. Like I can see us making money on those guys. I didn't think we'd be a seller's club by selling an MLS all-star center back to another MLS team so that we could watch him become a club legend, score their first goal, and anchor their back line. That's the part <laughs> I think that sucks the most. Uh, I mean, we did set a record for, for the sale of a defender at that price point. Strike while the iron's hot. But yeah, just to see him get that first goal for Nashville, gut-wrenching. To see him help them get in the playoffs, gut-wrenching. To see him just kicking butt and taking names there as part of one of the stingiest back lines, and in particular for an expansion team, sucks. It definitely sucks. And, Gio, our podcast name is Defenders of the Bank, man. We love our defenders uh, on Defenders of the Bank, so it really hurt for us to have Walker leave us. Yeah, and and on, on top of that, you, to your point on that, it doesn't go with the, the formula of what is L.A., right, to have – an expensive payroll, even, you know, not to bring in LA galaxy, but they, we know they like to spend money. And I think to me that, that, that tells me that maybe they're trying to get their investment right, uh, right away. You know what I'm saying? That that's the only thing I could, because I'm with you on that point. Selling an MLS, also MLS player to another MLS. I'm granted that Walker Zimmerman, you can only sell him so high. Right. Right. Um, Sure. And uh, he probably the most value you're going to get out of him is sure. for an MLS team. But I'm with you on that. It, it, it makes sense that it, it's, it's a little hard to understand when they're to me, it appears that they're trying to get their money on their initial investments when you know how much big how much big money this this club has. Sure. No, I agree. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see because I, I think those are definitely, uh, you know, We'll we'll have to see how the season ends. We we don't know what can happen, right? We'll have to see how the season ends. Um, who knows? They can come back and win MLS Cup and all these different things, and we could over here just being like, you know what? Whatever we mentioned about you guys or whatever, it works out. We don't know. It's twenty it's twenty twenty season. But I, I do want to mention. I do want to say a quote. This is what Bob Bradley said after the game. He said, "I believe we are capable of winning MLS Cup." But again, you go you go a game at a time. So we know that we start in Seattle. We know that last year they had they had came here and knocked us out of the playoffs in the conference finals. So we got to see if we can settle that score. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, he knows what he's going up against. You got to go up there, and he definitely wants to settle that score with the Sounders. Look, it was devastating to be at Bank of California Stadium last year to go up one nothing and then to feel 
the air get pulled out of that building. And to be honest, a lot of people that were there will tell you the Galaxy match was a little more intense at the start of it than the Seattle match was the week after. It was almost as if, you know, maybe some of the players, some of the fans felt like All right, we already won our Super Bowl. We already beat Carson. We knocked them out of the playoffs. That's what we were going for. And for it to be at the hands of a guy who, I mean, he's a straight assassin, Raul Rui Diaz, you know, it's one of those players that I circle every time I, I look at the stat sheet just to see how he did for each game. But Bob said exactly the right things because it, the world is not going to take pity on LAFC for being shorthanded. We were world beaters last year. We were supposed to do our job. We didn't do it. And, oh, boo-hoo, we don't have Diego Rossi. We don't have Brian Rodriguez. We don't have Sifu. We don't have Cheeky Palacios. That doesn't change our schedule. And you've said it, and Philly has said it. Every team has had COVID issues. Every team has had international break issues. Every team has had other stuff go on this year with injuries. No one's going to feel bad for the black and gold. We wanted a target on our back. Heck, we have two targets on our sleeves. I don't know why we don't have the MLS logo on one of our sleeves. You've ever noticed that, by the way. We have two targets, one on each of our sleeves. Really? We, yeah, absolutely. We are the team with the target on us literally 100% yeah. of the time. And I feel like Bob said the right things. And he said it in a way, by the way, that didn't call out seattle right even brian schmetzer talked about how it's it's respect not fear going into this matchup for lafc it's a lot easier for him to say when he knows he's not facing rossi and brian rodriguez but still it's we talk about all the time on the podcast if you want to be the man you got to beat the man Mm -hmm. and that's what lafc had happened to them last year so it's only right that we get a chance to go up there and do it to them this year and we're not your typical seventh seed at the end of the day. I mean, it Agreed. really came down to the last two games of the season. Uh, and we, we, we could easily have finished top fourth if a couple other things went, went our way. They know it. They, we, everybody knows it. The one thing Bob did say, though, is uh, you could tell he was pretty annoyed by, by the fact that we won't have those four players on our team. But that's not to say that Seattle won't be without a couple of their players. I mean, you've got Ariago who's going to go hang out with, with, uh, with Chiki and Sifu at Ecuador. And then you've got Svensson who's going to be hanging out in Sweden. Rui Diaz gets the call. Um, but here's the thing about him. <laughs> he, he's had COVID. Yep. He had was, it already. I was just going to bring that up. I was just going to bring that up. Go ahead. Yeah, so all these guys are done on the 17th. I think roughly that's the last day of a lot of their international matches. And also, from what I've heard, the quarantine time, MLS, I believe, took a day away from it. So instead of the normal 10 days, it's nine days. But since this guy already had COVID, what they're going to do is they're going to test him upon his return from international duty. And if he tests negative, he's going to fall into the category of what's called a recovered player. So he's going to get to play in the match. He's not going to end up sitting out those nine days. And that kind of, it's kind of scary. It's kind of yeah. scary. We need to jump him for his antibodies. Yeah, <laughs> that that is uh, that is the craziest thing when I heard about that because you talk 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 about someone that gets to um, I don't want to say benefit or what whatever the word is because he got COVID. That is the word. You're right. You know what I'm saying? It's like to come back and if he tests negative because he already had COVID, he's going to come back and be able to play. Um, is that that's just 2020 for you right and <laughs> yeah I agree Gio that's the most 2020 thing there have been a lot of 2020 things in MLS this season that has got to be the most 2020 thing out there I completely agree and and man that front line the way that they are playing right now between Nico Lodiero, Jordan Morris and and obviously Raul Rui Diaz they are firing on all cylinders I think any LAFC fan would be lying to you if they said that they are okay with facing Seattle versus any of the other options, whether it would have been Dallas, Minnesota, Sporting Kansas City, or Portland, 
I look, I'll be honest, I, I would like the easier path rather than the path that would give us the most glory in terms of beating the first team. And Seattle is not the easier path. In fact, I think, in my opinion, they're the best team in the Western Conference this season because they've got the front line that can match anybody's in Major League Soccer. Rui Diaz, one of the best strikers out there. Nico Lodiero just carves people up. And, and oh, by the way, Jordan Morris, striker for the U.S. men's national team that can put a ball into the back of the net anytime. So it's, it's going to be a tough matchup. Yeah, I mean, you've got what? They've got like 29 out of the 40-whatever goals they have split between those three people. I mean, Morris has 10, Rui Diaz is 12, Ladero has 7. I mean, those guys, those guys are animals. Um, but but I'm and let's not and, and Stefan Fry, he's got a pretty good GAA too. I mean, I think he's at what a 1.05. They're 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 a tough team. And I guess it really depends. The we're, I've said this on the pod or on our pod, we're consistently inconsistent. So it's just a matter of what LAFC team is going to come out on the pitch. Can we match up with them? Sure. But it just all depends on who the heck is going to be there. And I mean, if you wanted to speculate on starting lineups, we could go ahead and do that. Seattle's going to be dangerous in particular at the clink, but we have that chip on our shoulder, man. I tell you, you want to talk about like money ball statistics and, and all that kind of analysis. Sometimes just Playing pissed off rivalry is something that a team needs in order to go out there and give it their all. Yeah, and I, I think, um, like you said, they're not LAFC is not your normal seventh seed, and right. they're, they're not your normal. They should be up there, top three, top four, you name it. But I, I'm with you. I, I do believe Seattle Sounders is the best uh, best Western Western Conference team. I know they're number two, but I've watched them twice. I've watched them a lot, a lot of times because you know covering both teams. Um, the way they just dominate players and the subs and they come in they come at you hard and they're so physical and on top of that they t- this team is mature they know each other brian brian smith yeah. and those they know each other and yep. he's brought back a couple of defenders and a couple of players that went overseas and then they're you know they're, i don't know the player's name yeah brad smith was a big one that they thank just- yeah thank you so the team is just so mature and they know the system, you know, and they know the roles and they know what to play. And I think the maturity of the team, um, that is their biggest strength. That That, that is them knowing what to do, them, them knowing the roles and everything, and also them knowing how LAFC likes to play and how you play against LAFC. But I do believe that LAFC um, is going to come prepared, is going to come ready. They're, they're, they're going to have a, a fire uh, on the, on themselves because they know what they're up against and they they want to yeah essentially get payback of what happened la- last season in the in the Western Conference Finals at the Ben California Stadium and I know Bob Riley's going to have these um these players ready I think it just comes down to who is going to be that X factor because I we know what what Carlos Vela can produce right we know we know what uh, Danny Masovsky or Bradley Wright Phillips or whoever starts but I think to me who's going to be that X factor in the back line. Who's going to be the X factor, the goalie? I think that's the most important because you can win this game 1-0, 2-1 or whatever. But I think the most important is who's going to be the X factor on the defensive end and who's going to be your starting goalkeeper. See, well, the funny thing about like the course of the matches, none of them were really close. If you look back at the, the previous matches this season, it's we either whooped them or they whipped us. It, there wasn't a tight thing. And I still think that that narrative is, is going to be the same. I think Mario is going to be that X factor. When he started the previous matchup, he was passing the ball extremely well from the back line. He was connecting with, with the midfield and, and creating opportunities from there. I, I think we have a lot 
that we haven't seen from this kid. And the fact that he's acclimated so quickly to this team, the fact that the uh, all his teammates have embraced him as quickly as they did, I think he's going to be a big difference maker in this matchup. Look, I uh, I hate to disagree, but I'm going to go with Eddie Segura and Edward Atuesta, that Colombian connection in the middle. I think that we need to rely on our two best possession type players as well. We see so much with Eddie and Edward Atuesta making those great decisions with the ball in the midfield. And I think really, to me, if you look, we've scored goals against this team. So, and it wasn't just with Carlos Vela, it wasn't just with Diego Rossi. Musovski has scored, Bradley Wright Phillips has scored. And Bob Bradley's system is one that will get you goals, right? The, the biggest problem with playing a team like Seattle, Seattle is perfectly fine sitting back and mm-hmm. countering us. And that's where we have a hard time with teams that sit back and score off the counter. And I don't know if there's a better combination out there than Jordan Morris coming off the counter. And, and the guy who I actually look at who I watch in every single match where we play Seattle, other than Raul Ruiz, because I'm a big fan of his, is Joao Paulo. I think that kid is special in the midfield. They brought him on this year, and they didn't tinker with the offense, right? When you have a guy that convinces Clint Dempsey it's time to retire, when you have a guy like Raul Ruiz and Jordan Morris and Nico Lodio, you have Christian Roldan already in the middle, who might go down as one of the best super draft picks ever to play in the league, and then you supplement that, like you said, with they didn't bring in a 20-year-old kid, right? Joao Paulo is a veteran. He knows how to play midfield. He's played at the highest level. He's a good, good force in the middle that can hold the ball when you need to, that can push the ball when you don't. And that's what I think we need from Edward Atuesta and Eddie Segura. I'm really interested to see how Bob positions Eddie Segura. We're definitely going to need him to help out on the offensive end. And to me, for for money can buy, I think that um, Edward Atuesta is a top two or three center mid in all of Major League Soccer. He's played like it all season when he's been healthy. It's going to be a battle of the midfields, I think. And whatever midfield is able to control possession and string together passes more, those will be the teams that, that find the back of the net. Those will be the guys that are able to score. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think I, I, it depends where where you put uh, Eddie Segura because if you put him on right back, I mean, you can only do so much at the right back. That's more, yeah, obviously on the right uh, on the right um, up the flank and stuff. But if he, he starts there at center back or even even moves up up in midfield where we've seen him move up, I I'm with you on that. But I, I still do think is is the defense and being able to get back on the counter attack because that Jordan Moyes is is fast. I didn't think he was that fast, but yeah. this this year <laughs> this year he's. He's shown how how uh, his capability, you know. Essentially, I haven't been watching him for that long, but this year he he, he stood out on the radar. I know a lot of people were talking about him being MVP, uh, a lot of those things. So he, he's he's been a very exciting player to watch, and just the way he's scored on both both LA teams this year. And then you add Raul Rudy Diaz, who's you know he's been an Achilles Achilles for LA for LAFC the the MLS, you know every opposing team. So. Um, it's going to be tough, but I think if if, if you're going to have aspirations to win the MLS Cup, this is a team you're going to have to beat. Whether it whether it was going to, you're going to face them now or you're going to face them later, like you got to go through the hard tests first. And if you're able to beat Seattle, then you know then you start to have you know your D, your, your three DPS or or your couple of DPS, uh, Diego Rossi, Brian Rodriguez, and then you know Chiqui Palacios and Cifuentes. Then you can start assuming that. But I tell I tell people it's, it's one game at a time. Um, because unfortunately, because of the COVID and everything, um, it's, it's tough, man. I, I do really, I really do hope uh, that you know. I know it was tricky this year, but I really do hope in the future that MLS and the national teams can be on the same schedule how they do in Europe. Because 
it, it's very annoying. Like, you know, it, it's so annoying that it goes this way and players are going to have to miss crucial games because of it. Well, and Bob brought it up right at the end of the, at the end of the press conference, he said like, look, MLS tried, they just didn't leave enough time for recovery in that international window. And he was real frustrated. He said, something's got to change about that going into next season. So, and it's easy for Bob to say it, right? He's got four guys that are being affected by it. And potentially if Columbia ever gets their stuff together, we could be losing Eddie Segura and Edward Atuesta for these type of matches too. Well, well, well on top of that, it's like, you're not putting, if, if you're the MLS, don't you want to have the best players on your hundred percent like that their entertainment value right like the, the goals and all, all that thing that's where mls is 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 lacking because if you have these players let them go uh, follow it be, be on the same schedule as everybody or whatever let them go let them come back the product that you put on tv and people get to watch you're having the best players you have you know it, to me it just makes sense i understand um this year is is has is, is been crazy, but you know they've had they've done other years that it to me it just doesn't make sense. Have time so your best players and through, throughout the whole league can be there yep. so you can be, put the best product on TV. Hundred percent, like Bob said, you know if if this was Champions League and, and Bayern was playing whoever the heck they'd be playing and all the, all every all the good players were gone, people would be screaming bloody murder. Bring up the Lakers as much as everybody loves LeBron Caruso. They they paid to see LeBron James, not Caruso, come in and start the game. Exactly. Caruso out of this, that man is a saint. <laughs> hey, hey, I I like his headband, and I'll leave it at hey, that. Hey, man, he he, man, Caruso, man, he helped us get a. Yeah, he was part of getting us the championship, man. So I'm all for the Caruso champ. Oh, I see myself in Alex Caruso. I love that. <laughs> Gio, you brought up a great question. What do you do at keeper? You know, you've got. You've got a healthy Kenneth Vermeer who, look, let's be honest, he's played really well, especially this last match. He made a couple of saves and was really confident coming out, you know, and making those plays on a ball after he got kicked in the head. He still made another great save. And and I don't think the goal was necessarily his fault. It was, you know, bad marking on that last ball, although I think he maybe feels like he should have got a hand on it. He played really well, made a lot of big saves for us when we've needed him to. And you'll have Pablo, who will not have played for 29 days, I believe. If if you talk from the, the last Galaxy match where we played and we beat them 2-0, that was the last match he started. I believe that match is on the 25th of October, so you're looking at 24th of November, a full month. Do you want a player playing in their first match in a month against Seattle in the biggest match of our season? And, and honestly... LAFC is still looking for that non-Carson signature win. Over the course of our three years, we don't have that win. We had a chance with Real Salt Lake in the playoffs. We had a chance with Houston in the Open Cup. We had a chance with Seattle last year in the playoffs. We don't have that real signature win. If you want to call the Leon comeback, the 3-0 win, our signature win, that's great, but it hasn't won us CONCACAF Champions League yet. So I don't know if I feel like I want to start Cisniega, even though I'm on Team Pablo. I'm fine. I wasn't one of those people who really was super excited about the move from Kenneth to Pablo, but the way that Pablo has played, he's earned his place on that back line. But I have visions of Tyler Miller and what he was like after he came back from international break and and didn't get a lot of playing time. He looked not so great for us, and that's what opened the door for Pablo in the first place. I don't know who we start, but it's it's going to be a tough call for Bob. I, I would I would go the same route as you go, Vermeer, and for a couple of reasons. I think him getting benched and losing his job to Pablo made him wake up a little bit, maybe work, made him work a little bit harder. In addition to like his play over the course of the past couple of games, if it came down to a shootout, all right, we're going to a we're going to the eleven meter box. 
I would rather have Kenneth Vermeer square up against Ladero and Rui Diaz and, and Roldan and, and whoever else uh, rather than having Pablo. I definitely feel much more comfortable knowing that Kenneth Vermeer can make a couple of saves should we ever get into a shootout. And that and that's sort of what I'm sticking with it. You don't want to ruin you don't want to ruin the flow. I think Kenneth Vermeer, granted he did lose his job, but I think he successfully won it back. And I think we should stick with him going forward. Yeah, I th- I think I'm I'm with you guys on that. I think um it's and from and just from experience from seeing Bob Bradley, he tends typically um when you mentioned the rhythm, right? This he hasn't he's potentially not gonna play a game for a month, and we've seen three starts in a row from Kenneth Vermeer, even though I felt that I, I was with Pablo. Okay. He's the number one uh, goalkeeper, but now sure. with his injury, I think, do you really want to mess up the, the, the rhythm and the momentum that you, you've already built up with Kenneth Vermeer? He has his games under his belt. You know, obviously there's still 15 days away. That's a long time to not play a game. I think it's uh, Kenneth Vermeer can fall out of the rhythm. A lot of players, not just him. But I think just because of the recency of him playing, I think we're, we're I think we're gonna see uh, Kenneth Vermeer uh, just just get the start off of that, and I, and I think a lot of those things um, kind of just come to mind to me. Is, and one thing I just uh, I just remember what I was gonna say, Bob Bradley when he mentioned this, or they didn't even tell us, they didn't even tell us in the media that Pablo Cisnegas was injured because the game after was Houston, and Pablo I think yeah. I think he was either on the injury report. He wasn't on the 18. I don't, I don't remember. But um, I, I asked and I was like, hey, what, what's going on with Pablo? They're like, oh, it's just like they told me it was a, like a hamstring or, or a right knee, something. So I don't recall what it is. They put the not medically cure, medically cleared thing. So hip what was that? I believe it was a hip injury. Yeah, I think it was hip, hip, hip injury. Okay. Hip. So yeah. what they told me or what I was told, it was something minor. I'm like, okay, that's the same thing you told me about Carlos Vela. That's the same thing you told me about Tristan Blackman. Look how long they've missed. I know it's not something minor. And do you really want a player that's been, you know, not physically able? We Obviously, we're not, I'm not able to go to practice, so I don't know what, how much he's he practicing. Um, you know, and I, whatever, if it's the hip or the hamstring or whatever it is, it, it doesn't. It doesn't look good, um, and I don't think you want you want a player that has a, a serious injury. It's not a minor injury. It's a it's a serious injury when you're, when you're missing three games in a row. And like you said, it's a hip, right, for a goalie. I mean, that's that's pretty important. It's what you fall on when you're making a save to one side. It's what you push off on. I mean, look, I, I'm not a goalkeeper, and I know when I hurt my hip, I don't want to move around too much. So I can't imagine what it's like when your job is to move around and dive to the left or right. So. And we've seen him in practice at the performance center. He dives violently. I mean, the dude got his spleen ruptured because of how aggressive he plays. So I think, and I don't know, I want to, I hope I remember this correctly, but when LAFC posted the roster, uh, the lineup for the match yesterday, I went through the comments and I saw Vince talking about where BWP and Cisniega was. And and Vince, I, I'm pretty sure I remember this. I might have to go back and check it out. But I think he did say that Pablo was training on Wednesday. Or after Wednesday. I don't know if he was referring to Pablo. I'm pretty sure he was, but I think, I think he was actually at the performance center doing his thing. But either way, at the end of the day, let me ask you both games on the line. All it takes is one, uh, the keeper to make one save LAFC advances. All right. Who do you want in there? Do you want Cisniega or do you want Vermeer? Start with you, Gio. Uh, You, you, you go with Kenneth. I mean, that, that, whatever it is, the injury is way too serious. It's, It's way too serious for me, for him not to, be starting you know you don't as a goalkeeper 
you're not physically out there running up and down like a, a like a essential position player. But if you can't be do those mobilities, I, I I wouldn't have the confidence of going with Pablo because the time, the length, and him being out of rhythm. And I feel like Kenneth Ramirez, especially that last game, he he had a couple big saves. I know that last that that the goal of uh, the Timbers goal. I don't feel like that was him. That was whoever. I think it might have been. Uh, th- there was a, there was an additional player because I think Brian Rodriguez hit that and he was able he didn't have enough time to come back. I think that yeah. was Brian Rodriguez' player, so it's yeah, it's, it's tricky. So I, I would go with Kenneth. Look, here's what I'll say. Think about this. Remember at the beginning of the season when there was a lot of those Pablo versus Kenneth conversations, it was because neither player was really playing that well, but it was just you know let's let the young kid play because I'd rather see the young kid play and get some more minutes. Well, now the discussion that we're talking about is Pablo Cisniega played very well for about a five or six match streak, and now we've got Kenneth Vermeer playing really well for this three match streak. So what we're talking about now are two goalkeepers that are playing well versus two goalkeepers that can't separate themselves to break out from the pack. So look, end of the day though, I do agree. I I'd, I'm totally on team Pablo. Don't get me wrong, but the way we're playing right now and the way Kenneth has been playing right now, I start Kenneth from here. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, I think that's, uh, that, that's definitely the way it's going to go. Um, we haven't hit up on too much on Diego Rossi. Obviously he won a golden boot runner, youngest golden boot winner to ever, ever win the, the award. Uh, I think that's, a, that's a very great award, like for LA, for Diego, but also for LAFC, like how Diego said yesterday and just goes proved. Uh, proves that the system and everything that they got in place. You have back. You also have back-to-back golden, golden boot winners. And Diego Rossi also won uh, the golden boot in uh, in, uh, in Orlando. So it just it just goes to prove of the type of talent you have with LAFC. Um, let me ask you guys: Do you, you guys expect uh, Diego Rossi to be back next year? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'm not happy that Diego Rossi won the golden boot. Not happy at all. If there was any chance that we had of keeping Diego Rossi this for next season, it was to have him kind of fly under the radar for a little bit. Maybe have one of those like nine goals, eight assists, kind of low-key campaigns where because we watch LAFC each and every day, we know how good he is, but maybe he doesn't do anything to break out on the on the world stage if MLS ever captures the world stage like that. Unfortunately, that wasn't to be. Diego Rossi won the golden boot. He played the best that he's played in his career. He showed maturation. He showed a a level of leadership out there, especially with Carlos Vela being gone for most of the season. Look, we joked around that for the first season, season and a half, he was also on the Uruguayan diving team. He would go down so much. a play over the last 10 12 games where you can say oh Diego Rossi he's at it again there he goes diving he's taking a leadership role he's playing through tackles he's looking for a way to score every time he touches the ball and and he's he's playing so well within the system the only thing that helps us, Gio, the only reason why we're able to keep Diego Rossi, if we're able to keep Diego Rossi, is because so many teams overseas are just broke because of COVID right now and can't meet the asking price for LAFC. But if you're asking me as a betting man, I'm unfortunately, I think we've seen the last of Diego Rossi after Champions League. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I... <laughs> you, you pretty much said everything that you needed to say. I mean, the kid has played phenomenally. He kid played so well. Uh, 2018, we were singing a song about this young unknown from Peñarol, Diego Rossi, the guy who scored the first goal against the Sounders. Boom. A couple seasons later, kid's got a golden boot and he makes a national team. I, I, I think he goes. I, I would be shocked 
to see him. I don't want to lose him. It's going to be a sad, sad day in, in, in black and gold land when that day happens. But I can tell you wherever the heck he's going to land, I'm going to cop that kit for sure, whether it's just, whether it's Fiorentina or whoever else. But, I mean, you said it. It's the Serie A teams that seem to be interested in Rossi and Raito. And, well, they don't exactly handle their finances quite well. And not having fans hasn't been a very good thing for them. So that would be the only thing I would say that would keep him here. But I, I, I just don't see how he could possibly last in this league much longer. Yeah, and I think uh, I know last time I checked on transfer, transfer market, they had him, uh, I believe, 18 million. I think that has gone up. Uh, if I'll go check again, but I think, I mean, that's right about, right about there. I, I'm, I would, I mean, I could even say you could put him as a $20 million player. I mean, that'd be breaking records um, just with the type of season he's had, but you're right. Well, I think there is a team out there, whether, but I think for LAFC, it's so important to sell them to the right league, right? Cause we know Qatar, a team for Qatar, a team for China can come in, spend $20 million, but that, that doesn't go in brand with from what I see for LAFC to be a selling uh, a selling team. You want it to be Serie A. You want it to be one of the European ones, you know, whether it's like, you know, the Premier League or whatever. I'm just throwing leagues out there. You want it to be one of those leagues because that proves that your model is working, right? And I think there it just depends. I think it just depends on which team is going to pull the trigger uh, on Diego Rossi. And once those final numbers comes out, because um, like we talked about earlier, we've seen them sell Walker Zimmerman, which we were kind of surprised, but someone like a player like Diego Rossi, I, and I think LAFC definitely want, want to get some of their money back. And I mean, 18, 20 million dollars, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it, it would be a shame for him to go anywhere but Europe. I mean, we had uh, just to kind of give another example, Mitritza, the, the designated player for NYCFC. When they brought him to this league, they hailed him as the, the Romanian Messi. Now, the only reason I'm very familiar with the Romanian league is because my old man's Romanian. He follows it religiously. The, the Romanian Messi was kind of a ridiculous moniker to give him anyway. There are players out there that are Romanian that are better than he is. But he came to this league, designated player contract, and now he went over to Saudi Arabia. And you'll probably never hear from him again uh, or ever, because I doubt in this case that Romania will even make it to a World Cup because their whole entire program is a disaster. It would be a crying shame for somebody like Diego Rossi to take a $20 million paycheck just to go somewhere and completely disappear and fall off the grid. Yeah, Gio, you remember Sebastian Giovinco, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the guy was all world in this league for two or three seasons, and he took a pay, uh, a large paycheck to go over to Saudi Arabia or somewhere in the Middle East. And, I mean, goodness, I, I haven't seen or heard from him since. It's a player with Diego Rossi. We, I believe, according to Transfer Market, we paid $2.75 million for Diego Rossi. And and I just looked for you, Gio. $19.8 million is currently what Transfer it's Market. Gone up, it's gone up. Like It's gone up. Um, uh, yeah, it's ran it up to $20 million. It's It's gone up. And he's worth every every penny. Do yeah. you think that some of these Serie A teams can afford it? I don't. I really don't. I don't see Fiorentina or Sassuolo or, or any of these teams that were rumored. I, I just don't see how they do it. And I don't see how you do it because the other reason is Italians are very prideful. I'm, I'm Italian. I love my Italian soccer. We're very prideful about who we bring in and why we bring them in. So you're going to go ahead and make a $20 million investment to your fan base. You're going to, you're going to sell them the idea of no, 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 
There's this guy from America's soccer league. He's going to be the one that changes our fortunes. As much as I think MLS is coming up in the world as a league, we're showing you that young talent can really be be fostered here. Unfortunately, we're not seeing it like they did in the Bundesliga where they just take these young kids and, oh my God, they become superstars. But I just don't see an Italian club being able to sell it to their fan base that there's this guy from an American soccer league that we're going to pay $20 million for in the middle of COVID to change our fortunes. I, I just don't see it. I hope I'm right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, if it's the Italian, but we've definitely seen that model work with, with the Bundesliga, with Bayern Munich, with Alfonso Davies, you know, I, I and I definitely feel oh, like, and- I definitely feel like you can see it there with, with, uh, what they've seen him, uh, the the German league definitely loves American uh, American players. Obviously, we know Rossi's not an American player, but he comes from the MLS system, and they know. I think, I think they're German. Um, don't be I don't be surprised if a German team comes and, and picks up uh, Diego Rossi. And, I'd be you know, even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, and it just proves the model even what what LAFC have been doing. And you know, if they, I mean, they they can spend twenty million dollars or whatever. It, it's that's not it's not an issue for them. And I I really do think it comes down to LAFC. What what what? Because it's also a brand play too, right? Like we yeah. sold him to Bayern Munich or Dortmund or what, whatever, right? Whatever European club is all about their brand. We sold them for this much money. Sure. You know? And I and I think that's where that's where it's going to come down to and. We don't know what league or what team, but I definitely, I, I would definitely keep my eye on the, on the German league. Well, and you look at the other big players, or the Austrian league. We look at Brendan Aronson right now, who's going mm-hmm. to Salzburg, right? It's he's generating a lot of publicity. He's going there because he's part of the Red Bull brand, right? So uh, there's no reason that he can't go from Salzburg to Leipzig or any of the other teams that are under that Red Bull brand. So you're looking at Austria, the Austrian league being a, a, a potential landing spot for him. I would love to see him in Bundesliga. Oh my goodness! Hell yeah. I just don't know if he's ready for as physical of a style as they play in the German Bundesliga. But look, you're absolutely right. I think more than anything else, LAFC has to get this sale right because it's a brand sale. You're absolutely right. We want to put the black and gold on the world stage. And if we can do that by setting up Diego Rossi in a position to succeed in one of the top leagues in Europe, unfortunately, we're going to do it. We have to do it. And it's the best thing for Diego Rossi. Yeah. yeah, you you had Alfonso Davies go to Bayern, and then you had, I mean, Miguel Almiron, who ended up in Newcastle. I mean, he, he's got to be a big splash. Otherwise, I feel like they're just doing the league and the player a huge disservice. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let, well, let's finish up with this. So let, let's, let's play two scenarios, right? First scenario, LAFC beat Seattle Santos. We know they're capable of whatever the score is, right? They beat and they move on. Obviously, they then presumably it looks like they have that – as difficult opponents, right? Then I think then you get the, the, the international players back and you have your full weapons and then you really do have a really good shot of making, uh, making you know, making a real run. Not that they don't right now, but obviously they're shorthanded with four starters. Um, how does that path look? If they, if they beat Seattle Sounders, do you feel like, okay, we now we're getting, we're getting formal weapons back. We can win this. Not saying that I, I they can't win it now. I, they go against either Portland or Dallas. That's their next round opponent. So Portland, we've had success with. We've managed to put up really big numbers against Portland. I would love that matchup. But if that doesn't happen, we go up against FC Dallas. And that could be a potential uh, opportunity for us to hop a flight because we know they're allowing people in those matches down in Texas. That's the way I would like to see it go. I do think if we can get past Seattle, that we could come out of the West convincingly, at the very least, go to the conference final. 
Gio, how many teams do you know that in the middle of a playoff run wind up getting four all-star caliber players back so that they can, you know, gear up for their next match? I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not just that we'd be getting past the most difficult team in the West, although we'd be doing that. It's not just that we'd be exercising the demons of last year and, and really getting revenge on a team that we want revenge on more than anything else, though we would be doing that. It's that after that match, in just six short days, we would play our next match and it would be with the services of Diego Rossi, with the services of Sifu and Cheeky and Brian Rodriguez. And likely it would mean a little bit healthier of a Pablo Cisniega, a little bit healthier of a Danny Musovsky, Mohamed El Munir, maybe Bradley Wright Phillips. You're talking about going to a gunfight with a butter knife against Seattle and walking <laughs> out of there with all the weapons you need to run the table for the rest of MLS Cup. I think no team really fears LAFC as we are currently constituted. No team wants to play LAFC once we get past Seattle and get all of our weapons back. Mm-hmm. All right, now let, let me play the other side. Say LAFC lose for whatever reason. How do you guys view this season? Because this season, obviously we know what happened last season, came up short. If LAFC end up going down in the first round, how do you view the, the season? Look, I'll, I'll take this one first. First of all, season's not over. We got CONCACAF Champions League to get ready for. And MLS, I, MLS playoffs, MLS playoffs. I got you, but I'll just I'll play out the scenario real quick. If we go on to CONCACAF Champions League, we beat Cruz Azul and then Club America in the next round. I mean, can you imagine all of a sudden what that does to 2020 for LAFC? Now we've got something to really play for. But let's talk about MLS season. I think that what we saw this season, Carlos Vela's injury, Adama Diamande leaving the squad, Walker Zimmerman's trade so early on. We have been the best telenovela in the history <laughs> of League Soccer this season. And I think nobody would be surprised if it ends with the dramatic death in the first round of the black and gold, right? I think that it's almost poetic in a way that, you know, we would lose to the team that, you know, we also lost to last season. I don't view it as a, as a lost season or as an unsuccessful season. I view it as as 2020 of a season as one could have ever imagined. And yeah, it's disappointing, right? You want your team to win the championship. You want your team to go to MLS Cup and, and play for it and win. But I'm okay with the quote-unquote excuses or the reasons that brought us here. I mean, look, you lose your best player for a portion of the season. You lose your best defender. You, you lose your, your real dog there in the middle, that heart and soul, a guy like Adama Diamande who would run through walls to get you goals throughout the course of the season it's it's tough right and and i would be okay with us losing in the first round i don't want it to happen but i wouldn't be anywhere near feeling like i did when we lost to real salt lake in 2018 in a match we should have won or when we lost to seattle to ruin the best regular season in mls history sometimes i hate it when you go first because you don't leave me with anything to say because jay i usually (laughs) agree with you on a lot of these topics say your thoughts even if it's the same (laughs) we want to hear from you I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, let's just put it that way. I mean, they, they, I mean, despite even going a couple of matches and, and getting shut out, they, they, they still led the league in scoring. You know, the, the, the system offensively works. It's exciting and it, it puts the ball in the back of the net more often than not. But like anything else, the, the, there were a lot of growing pains with it. I said it, it were consistently inconsistent this year. We, we've, we know what we need to fix. We know what we need to patch up and, Hopefully, you know, we get to retain a good portion of the uh, of the offense and we just improve upon the defense. 
it's been it's going to be really cool to play in in, in Concacaf Champions League. But I'll tell you, I'm probably more nervous for Cruz Azul than I am for Seattle. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a top four team in, in Liga MX versus a top four team in, in in Major League Soccer. It would be, I mean. I guess to like use the narrative so 2020 for us to get booted out of the first round. And then I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. I I can't even like wrap my mind around how unbelievable it would be to beat both those clubs, uh, Cruz Azul. And then, well, Scarf, maybe, maybe Atlanta United beats Club America. You know, you don't want to give you don't want to shoot poop (laughs) in their swimming pool, right? We might face Atlanta United. You never know, but it it would be so 2020 for us to go out in the first round and then actually do some damage in CONCACAF Champions League. Either way, we didn't even know if there was going to be a season. Okay. There was just too many variables. Uh, so many things happened. So many teams, the beginning of the COVID cup, we obviously had a couple of teams that had to, had to bow out. And then you had Colorado with their situation where they missed five matches. I mean, I would say we were very fortunate that we ended up getting a season. Well, I think we're very fortunate that we've gotten sports because as crazy and as chaotic as this year has been, sports has given us a little bit of a reprieve. So I'm thankful that we had it. Thankful that we get to have these conversations. Thankful that we get to pod and talk about it tonight with you, Gio. So for me, would it be a, um, a, a a negative on the on the year? No, but I I really think we could make it at least out of the first round. But it was still exciting. Uh, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but it wouldn't be a total disappointment if we did get knocked out. Yeah, no, and I and I just I'm just curious to know. I was just curious to know you guys' thoughts on on that um, because of of so much talent that and so many players grew. You know, we saw uh, Christian Torres. We probably wouldn't saw Christian Torres if Vela didn't get injured. We probably wouldn't saw Danny Masubski if Adama Diamande. We probably yeah. we we saw Pablo Cisnegas grow. We saw a lot of players grow. Um, you know, and we Diego Rossi. We saw what he can do winning Golden Boot and stepping up. You know, there's a lot of things. I think the only thing is that we we have a feeling that potentially this team may be without those weapons next year. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think I think that may be tough if and it's unfortunate that they don't have all the international players to really have a like all the teams to really have a deep run to really see to really maximize at least this first game. Right. But um, I but I, I definitely do believe I do believe in LAFC. I definitely do believe in Bob Bradley in the system um, that they have. And I, I, I do really feel like it's, it's definitely going to come down on, on the defensive end for LAFC. Um, because uh, so much of the other firepower that, you know, the Seattle Sounders uh, definitely have. But, guys, I appreciate you guys uh, being on, uh, having you guys on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Um, let the people know if they're, 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 that already don't follow you guys. Uh, go ahead and plug your podcast and plug you guys' uh, social media. Yeah, sure. Make, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Defenders of the Bank, and that's B-A-N-C with like Bank of California Stadium, and on Twitter at Defend the Bank. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate all the follows and, and all the likes that you guys give us, but it's way more fun. Just click on the episode, listen, tell us if you like us or not. Give us a shot. You know, we, we like to call ourselves the most LAFC podcast on earth. We have a lot of fun, man. I'm so happy that uh, I can use hashtag Blame Philly to say <laughs> the he's the reason that that got got us into this in the first place but uh you know geo we definitely appreciate you having us on this has been a great time yeah yeah 100 percent um scarf i'm surprised you didn't plug yourself because you were plugging yourself on the show last night <laughs> you, you haven't told his listeners why they call you the scarf by the way i think you need to let them know oh, yeah, why yeah, we yeah, call yeah, you scarf yeah 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 uh, go ahead scarf i must go ahead that was, I, that was one of my questions go ahead 
No, that's okay. I just feel bad. You're trying to end the podcast, and Philly's taking over the hosting duties here for the last. No, it's, look, it's it's, to, it's it's totally fine. It, it, it gets you know, I got I got some time. Don't don't worry about me. I, that was one question I had, and then after yeah. that, then you can sing the Brian uh, Rodriguez song. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It, it, you know that that would be so great to end the show if you if you if you if you just finish with that Brian Rodriguez song. It would be can do. Maybe we'll fade out into into me singing that song. Oh, you got the guitar. He pulled the guitar. <laughs> no, you know it all came from the uh, the childhood cancer awareness campaign that Major League Soccer did in 2018, where if you took a picture with your favorite Major League Soccer scarf, they donated ten dollars to the Kick Childhood Cancer campaign. So I started to acquire as many LAFC soccer scarves as I could. Turns out after the first year, I had almost 50 different LAFC scarves, and and we're not talking about like the bootleg ones that you can get from right outside Christmas Tree Lane. These were like the real ones that LAFC sold or that were only available in you know limited stuff. And and I became became known as like the scarf guy. So they just started calling me the scarf. And at the end of first season, after the Real Salt Lake playoff loss, LAFC came to me and, and they said, look, we want you to design a scarf for the team. And so I designed a scarf for the second year is the Golasso scarf with black and gold on one side and Golasso on the other. And, you know, use that again to raise money for childhood cancer awareness. And, and that's how that's how I became the scarf. And I'm up to about 112 LAFC scarves wow and then the team's only been around for what three years now so it's like 112 so are they really getting that money they're getting that money out of you they're like hey we make this scarf we know we know the scarf will buy this so we're we're set (laughs) that would have been known as like the pin or the the something (laughs) so that i could have a a place to put all these things i know that uh that my family's kind of tired of seeing scarves all over the house that's for sure but uh well well, the ironic thing is like for the longest time he wouldn't even bring one to the game when people would like put the the on the jumbotron say scarves up i'd look at him and his hands are down he'd just be drinking a beer i'm like what are you doing your name is the scarf you need to have a scarf at the damn game I, I sweat in the snow. So having a scarf around my neck, just it's it's brutal. But that being said, I have acquiesced. You guys can see our, our scarf right up here behind us. I bring this one to every match, our Defenders of the Bank scarf. And uh, yeah, that's enough about me being the scarf. Okay. And <laughs> did we get the Brian Rodriguez song? Oh, all right. Bring the guitar. No, no, we- the guitar. We, we never actually put the chords to it, but I'm actually going to surprise you one day and I record something with this. I have your, I have the master track. So all I got to do is put some, uh, an E minor, maybe a D together and I can create some nice little, some nice little jingle for give, you. Give us just like 10 seconds. Oh, Brian. Yes, Brian. Down the left wing, he goes flying. He's got perfect hair and abs everywhere. It's Brian. And he scored a goal. And we've only used that song once or twice because Brian, unfortunately, hasn't scored very many goals. But, you know, that being said, we, we love Brian and we hope he plays well for us this season in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, man. That was that was that was amazing. <laughs> that was definitely amazing. <laughs> Philly, just go just go ahead and uh, plug yourself in and uh, we'll go ahead and end the show. DOTB Philly on Twitter and Philamonster35 on Instagram, Christian Philemon on Facebook. And that is my plugging of myself. (laughs) Guys, well, we appreciate the Defenders of the Bank for definitely being being on the podcast. Um, if you guys enjoyed this episode, this fun, exciting, we even got a, a song out of the scarf out here. It's, 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 it's been an amazing show. It's Boy. been the most exciting show here. Um, we're definitely going to have to take you out to Hollywood. 
and try to you know try to come out the <laughs> you know make make some money off of this but uh but yeah guys if you guys enjoyed this episode make sure to give it a five-star rating on apple Podcasts, uh spotify wherever you get your music you can definitely listen to this podcast if you guys want to follow me you guys can follow me at geo garcia la on twitter make sure to check out la soccer hub on all social media platforms for the defenders of the bank this is geo thank you guys everybody We'll be right back.